afternoon. This is our interview for our podcast on uh, Miracle on 34th Street. So here we go. Well, we have a guest that's joining us again, Nancy Rubin, or as we refer to Nancy as the other NPR. And Nancy and I had an opportunity just a few days ago to look at the movie Miracle on 34th Street, which we love, with uh, the perfect Santa Claus, Edmund Gwynn as Kris Kringle, and the perfect child for uh, the disbelieving child that later comes around, uh, Natalie Wood. So thank you, Nancy, for joining us. We look forward to many more of these. Well, I'm very glad to talk with you about this movie. Why don't you uh, maybe give us a little background on uh, what you thought of the movie, and uh, we'll go from there. I remember seeing this movie when I was much younger, and I loved it then, and I love it just as much today as I did then, but uh, today for different reasons. I loved seeing the old telephones and the old department stores and... um, the way the people dressed, the way the people acted. It was it was just really, I guess we would say a blast from the past, but it was just some really great um, nostalgia. And I, and I loved, um, I often said that the thing I missed the most is my idealism. And it was so great to see idealism again, right before my eyes. And maybe get a little bit back, even if it was just uh, for a couple of hours. Well, those are all good ones. I, the one that I thought of was the uh, post office when they were sorting the mail. I mean, you, you open the chute, and it looks like 17,000 pieces of mail come shooting down to everybody. And uh, I finally found out that, uh, looked it up, and the, the person that was playing the mail sorter was Jack Albertson, who had a long career. He was so young in this film, I couldn't figure out who it was until I did a little research. Could you believe how everybody that went out that was a man was dressed in a suit? Yeah, Even I mean, when they went shopping. I thought that was... Cool. Uh, probably just for the movie. Oh, you know, well, I don't know. My dad always dressed up when he went out. Being a plumber, if we went to church or dinner or something, he was always in a, uh, a nice uh, business suit. Love that. Well, and the thing about the post office, I think that's where our car insurance payment went. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yet, yet to be found. It went to the courthouse for Santa Claus. I, I think so. <laughs> and unfortunately, he uh, he gave us a lump of coal and said, you guys have to pay that. Anyway. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. It went to the dead letter office. One of the things I wanted to mention that Matt and I talked about earlier was... Uh, the music in different films and how it can mm-hmm. impact yeah. uh, the film. And I, I made um, the mistake earlier of forgetting to talk about Cyril Mockridge, who was the composer for this film. And I thought, I don't think he did very many. Boy, was I incorrect. He worked for 20th Century Fox for a number of years, with, and he worked with Alfred and Lionel Newman. He's, he did the musical scores for 70 films including Guys and Dolls. My goodness. Which won an Academy Award nomination. Didn't win, but it got a nomination. And one of my favorites with Marilyn Monroe, River of No Return in 1954. She and Robert Mitchum are going down the Snake River trying to escape something. I don't remember what. 
But this guy was a, a very, very prolific and busy composer, and I didn't give him due credit when we did our Matt and did our I did our podcast earlier. So, well, the the music always makes the movie in in many uh, situations, and that's so true. And in this situation, it just added to the movie. I I think the music made our our wedding that much better. Nothing could have made it better, but the music was nice. <laughs> it was. It's, it's true. Did you have anything in the film that you thought maybe didn't seem too appropriate or didn't quite fit? Correct. I have one. I, I'm, I'm sort of. I have a hidden agenda here, but. Did you have anything that didn't ring true to you? Well, it wasn't so much it didn't ring true, but the first Santa, the drunk Santa, was on one um, Santa Claus float, and then when the new Santa replaced him due to his um, inability to perform his duties... He was drunk. Yes, that's true. (laughs) He was on a whole different float. Yes, and and you pointed that out when we were watching the film. And I thought... Wow, that's some Santa Claus. He can even change a float right in front of people's eyes and they don't know. I think I found out from Matt why that happened. Apparently, when the real parade took place, the Macy's parade, Edmund Gwynn, as Chris Kringle, was in that parade. He was on that float. That was the actual float from the parade. But when they did the scenes before the parade where the other actor was inebriated as Santa Claus, that was not on the parade route. That was not the real location. That was within a studio someplace. And I think they didn't have the right sled because they couldn't use the one from the parade. But uh, if you remember that scene at the end of the parade, Edmund Gwynn is standing up and looks like there's 200,000 people watching him. Yes, yes. That actually was the parade. So I think that might explain that continuity uh, uh, faux pas, if you will. I, I think it's. I think that it's really great that Macy still does that parade. Yeah, I got confused. I looked up. Gimbel's had a parade, and I'm not sure if they combined them into Macy's or if Macy's was the first one. I could not find out the, the, uh, the history of that, but they both had them, and I don't know if they competed. I don't know. Well, Gimbel's is gone now. Yeah, so, so yeah. much for that. Yeah, yeah. Didn't you like the way they treated Mr. Uh, Macy? He was, I mean, they must, Macy's must have loved having all that good publicity about their store and their their uh, president and all. That was that was a nice kudo for Mr. Macy. He I, was a good, good guy in the film, I think. Well, I'm sure Macy's wishes they run that film every day <laughs> yeah. from now until <laughs> December 25th. <laughs> Well, I, the the one f- part of the film that I had trouble with was Porter Hall as Granville Sawyer. He was the uh, human resources person. We we were never sure if he was in the personnel department or human resources department or if he was his own individual employee that was a psych psychology testing person. But that man was had a lot of issues of his own and didn't ring true to me in terms of what he might be doing and what his role was and that the, the way he acted and he just was he was in the movie for the purpose of kind of having a dramatic 
counterpoint to Santa, but what did you think of him? Because your background is kind of in that area of expertise. Well, um, he certainly was unlikable. Everybody got that pretty quickly. And um, he had a lot of issues, shall we say. Probably it would be better for him, as you've told me in baseball, if he was designated for assignment and got out of the Macy's store. And fortunately, at the end of the film in the courtroom, he was. He was, yes. <laughs> Mr. Macy walked over and said with those kind words, you're fired. Yes. And that was that made everybody feel even better about the outcome because he was... Uh, just he just didn't fit exactly my image of what someone would be like that did that for a living. Yes. How did he keep his job if he was this way all the time? Anyway, that that was the one part I didn't like. Matt and I thought the first part of the film, the first half, was really unique and beautifully done because it was like so full of goodness and and Santa Claus and Kris Kringle and how he affected people in the different companies. And then the courtroom scenes came became a little more comedic and and uh, it was a whole it was kind of a different feel to the film. It, remember when they took him away when they took Chris Kringle to Bellevue for uh, examination? Yes. That was kind of the point in the film where I thought it sort of switched over to a more of a courtroom drama comedy from the first half. Well, Did maybe you? maybe they spent most of the budget at the front half, so they had to, uh... <laughs> they had to speed it up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> speed it up. Oh wow! Uh, I, I love the interaction between the judge and his uh, political advisor, who later went on to be on "I Love Lucy" as Ethel's husband, Fred. He, <laughs> he was the two of them. One of the things I loved is when uh, they were—he was uh, the the political advisor was going through. Yeah, you know, you can you can say there is no Santa, and you'll get two votes for your election. And the judge yes. says, "No, I'll only get one." The district attorney's a Republican. Yeah. <laughs> that cracked me up. There there were a lot of really uh, great moments in the in the movie, and I think I told you my very favorite was um, when Santa spoke Dutch to the little girl who couldn't speak English. And it was just, it was so touching. There were so many moments that, I guess, feel-good moments or moments that you just thought, oh, I really wish it was like that. Um, well, it was in the movie. That's what was. we love about it. It was. it was. And what was nice about that scene, too, is that Natalie Wood's character was kind of standing off to the side hearing Santa Claus shift from one language to another. He could probably do 130 languages if he needed to. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> There's no, no doubt. doubt. No doubt. So we we both love the movie. Um, I, I I just I just loved the whole thing, and like I said, I loved it many years ago, and I still love it as much today. And I liked watching it and and getting the feelings and and just having the nostalgia of years gone by. So I think you would probably say, well, what do you think? Is it a one or a two or a... Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah. you know, with 10 being a... Uh, uh, the one, the 10s that we've had are like um, Double Indemnity, Stagecoach, uh, Gentleman's Agreement. 
And we have had a one that's a Plan 9 from outer space. Yes. We had another one, but I won't say that one on the air. It's orgy, well, maybe I will, the orgy of the dead. Uh, Where would you put this film? Certainly not there, for goodness sake. But, um, I think I, I think I would give it an eight and a half. Wow. Well, I can reveal to you now that Matt and I both gave it an eight. So we all saw the same film. The half or is, saw it in the same way. The half is just my emotional reaction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us for uh, another interview, of which I hope there'll be many. And do you mind if I call you the other NPR? Absolutely not. That's great. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Bob.